This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. What's the focus on BFM 89.9, the business station? Welcome back. You're listening to The Morning Run. It is 9.36 Friday, the 21st of July. And as usual on Friday, it is WTF or What's the Focus, our weekly roundup show of the top stories this week that you may have missed so that when you meet friends and family over the weekend, you can give them all these wonderful nuggets of information and sound very entertaining. Uh, But first off, I think we have this story of a disappearing Chinese foreign minister. So, you would imagine this doesn't happen every day, right? Where a well-known minister just bamush. You can't find him. There's no there's no news on him. He just disappeared from every public engagement. He's not appearing in the press. And it has happened in China because China's main diplomat, Qing Gang, has gone missing. Speculation is mounting by the day as to what happened to this man uh, who is known to be very, very close to President Xi Jinping. And what makes his disappearance more noticeable is the fact that we've had a flurry of very important dignitaries coming to China, but he's not there to greet them. So he was last seen when President Xi met the first visiting US Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, on June 19, but subsequently did not appear at any meetings that Chinese officials had with Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, who was in town earlier June, and also with the recent trip by John Kerry, climate envoy, this week. Now, Mr. Chin was last seen officially on June 25th when he met officials from Sri Lanka, Vietnam and Russia. But he has also been missing from last week's Asian annual foreign, foreign minister's powwow in Jakarta, where his predecessor, Wang Ying, looks like he had to step in uh, for him in his absence. He was also not present at the visiting Prime Minister of New Zealand, Barbados and Solomon Islands and former pres- Philippine President Rodrigo Duterte on Monday. Now, his disappearance is shrouded in secrecy and looking at the press, it's, you know, there's, they are reporting that there are salacious rumours swirling of an extramarital affair with a TV presenter, legitimate child and even death. Now, so far, the foreign ministry in China has cited health reasons for Mr. Chin's missing the ASEAN summit and said that it has no information when asked about rumours. Neither did it confirm or deny in terms of an update on Mr. Chin's health. Now, at this stage, it can only be two reasons. And this is not me speculating, but commentators speculating that he is either ill or in trouble. Yeah, in China's political culture, the health of its leaders is never talked about publicly, given the Communist Party's fixation with the control of information and its information. But if Mr. Jin has violated party rules, an inquiry that's taken this long could also point to the possibility of something a whole lot more serious. Now, the most famous disciplinary act prior to this was none other than President Xi himself, who was not seen for two weeks in the lead-up to the 18th Party Congress back in 2012, where he was slated to take power from the President and General Secretary of Communist Party, Hu Jintao. Now, interestingly enough, uh, if we look across the border, another interesting person that's gone missing is the Russian General Sergei Surovikin, who has disappeared since the 25th June rebel uh, led by Wagner himself. So we have missing people on both sides of the border. Yeah, but what does it say about the state of affairs in, in a country, right? I'm sure it's just going to create more questions. You know, people are thinking, oh, this is all very mysterious. Where has he gone? What is going on? Uh, because... Some people will say that the, the, the silence has reached a deafening level and the optics aren't really that great. But I think in countries like this, which operate where governments are like, you know, a little bit different from ours, uh, it's not surprising. The question is, when if he does come back, 
Will we ever know why? And the answer is no, because even when Xi Jinping went missing for two weeks, when he came back, it was as if nothing ever happened. No, was I gone? Did anybody notice me? No big deal. Let's carry on. Um, I can't imagine something like this happening in Malaysia. Oh, I think previously it would have been called the OSA. And at least we know those people in Kamunting. No, that would be deep. That's OSA. You're referring to ISA. ISA but we've sorry. never really thrown any government officials into uh, ISA. And even if they are in ISA, usually the, the press would get wind of it. Social media will get wind of it. And we will know about it. But in China, things operate very, very differently. Now, uh, let's look at some of the news coming out of Singapore. I think you're very interested in this story, aren't you, Mark? Yes, I am. Because, you know, I mean, Singapore is usually a very safe place. I mean, one would even call, call it state. But Singapore is giving us a lot of news lately. And if you look at the presidential election, it's going... Oh, you're talking about that, not the other salacious details. Not the others one, yeah. But okay. we can cover that a little bit later. But let's talk about the Singapore presidential election, where it could be a potential three-horse race to replace the outgoing Singapore's first female president, Halima Yaakob. So joining the fray this week is former Government Investment Corporation Chief Investment Officer Ng Kok Song, announcing his intention to run this week. Now, the existing two frontrunners are already former Senior Minister Taman Shamu Garanam, the favourite, and business entrepreneur George Goh, who was famously brought in Harvey Normans into Singapore. Now, both Ng Kok Song and George Goh will have to wait to see if a presidential elections committee will approve their certificates of eligibility. So here that folks, for you to be able to run as a candidate in the Singapore presidential elections, you need to be vetted and reviewed by this committee before you're allowed to run. Okay, so let's rewind a little bit. How important is this presidential post? Because let's be honest, the Prime Minister runs the country in Singapore. Uh, so the office of the President is largely ceremonial with general direction and control of the government exercised, like I said, by the Prime Minister and his cabinet. But he, they do have several powers designed to safeguard the national reserves and the integrity of the pu public service. Now, you've mentioned the names, but I think, like you say, the front runner clearly is... Uh, Taman, he is currently, uh, well, he, he served as Senior Minister, Coordinating Minister for Social Policies. Uh, he's been Chairman of MAS, Deputy Chairman of GIC, Chairman of the International Advisory Council for the EDB. So, comes with very, uh, you know, very sound credentials. I think he's probably the frontrunner. He is indeed. And I think most of the time, the Singapore voter will, in a way, if you don't vote for the one that's been nominated by PAP, it's a bit of like a protest vote. Right? Okay, so let's see. I'm curious what will the outcome be? What will be the the numbers? You know, like how many percent voted for Taman? How many percent voted for George? I think those are the two big front runners. Uh, you know, it's Correct. everyone's guess, right? And I, and I think Taman is also seen, while he's seen to be part of the government, he's also seen to be independent and free of mind. And that leads up to the fact that recently, you know, there have been a lot of scandals happening in the Singapore Parliament with Leon Pereira and Nicosia from the Workers' Party, Social Social Worker Party Unit, and Tan Juan Jin and Ching Huai from the People's Action Party. Oh, yes. We'll be watching this space. Singapore getting very interesting. We're heading into some messages. We'll come back and take a look at the local recaps of this week. But to take us out just for a moment is Think by Arita Franklin. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. It's 9.47, Friday the 21st of July, and of course you're listening to The Morning Run. Now, you're also listening to WTF, which is What's the Focus, our weekly recap show. So early on, we did all the international stories that caught our eye, but this time we're going local. And the local news has really been very much driven by politics, because state elections are coming up. That's going to be happening on 12th of August. Nomination day is on 29 July. But in the meantime, we had somebody who was arrested. 
at 3 a.m. in the morning. Yeah, yeah, in a hotel. I think he's in a hotel. And, you know, the, the, there were questions as to why did he need to be arrested at that time? It was a very... Could they find him? Couldn't he just turn up in the police station? What do we know, Mark? Well, initially, the, this person, the caretaker, Kedah Menteri Besar, Datu Sri Mohamed Sanusi Mano, denied that the police were unable to reach him or his aides before his arrest on Tuesday morning. However, later on, he came out to even say that I didn't want them to arrest me because I knew there was a complot to do so as would give the narrative that I committed offence. So on the one hand, at first he says that they couldn't reach him and then on the other hand, they said they could have reached him but he just didn't want to be arrested. So the interesting thing also is this comes at a time with the six state party elections coming and this man is actually the past election director. So there is a little bit of weight that's being pulled that this could be politically motivated rather than the Sedition Act that's been thrown against him, which was the comments that he purportedly made against the Sultan of Selangor with regards to the appointment of the then Selangor Menteri Besar. Okay, so in the meantime, our Home Minister, Dato Sri Saifuddin Nafsution, said that the police detained the caretaker Kedah Menteri Besar as he was unwilling to cooperate with the investigation when the police tried to reach him. So I'm quoting from uh, Dr. Sri Saifuddin. He said, Sanusi says, I'm not doing my job. I am doing my job. Uh, but when the police do their job, Sanusi gets mad. Mm. Okay, so the point is, if the police are coming to arrest you, I don't think you have the right to tell the police, no, 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 don't come now. It's not convenient. You can come later. Uh, that doesn't really quite work that way. Correct. I wish I could you have said dictate, that to the police. Yeah. You can't dictate to the police when you want to be arrested, right? I think that's not how the system works. That's not how and the system works. And it doesn't matter who you are, what your position is, what post you hold, right? Is it the, the wheels of justice work the same for everyone else? I, I'm, I'm under that impression. I could be wrong. Someone please correct me. Right. You know, I mean, the fact that he came out and said, I didn't want them to arrest me. It's akin to saying, I don't want to be summoned so I don't get a compound from the police. But anyway, you know, you know Attorney General Idris Harun has also come out to weigh in the matter that the decision to charge this individual is based on evidence and facts from the investigation process and not on the behest of others in response to the politically motivation of the charges that could have happened. Yeah, um, well, definitely we don't want prosecution to be selective. Uh, there's always been questions about that, which is why there has been talk about the separation of duties between the AG and the public prosecutor. That's ultimately the goal of the, the reform when it comes to the legal system. And we've also had questions about this case, which have arisen, which is, of course, the use of the Sedition Act. And earlier on this morning, we talked to a constitutional lawyer, Dato Malik Imtias, on this matter, because... This Sedition Act was a creation of colonial times, used against us Malaysians. Ironically, we still use it until today. Does it serve any purpose? Is it's, it does it give the government of the day too wide a power because it has the the right to define what sedition is, and it's been used against politicians. It's been used against media. Uh, it's 2023. Does it sit well in terms of what is the definition of a human right? No, and even more ironically, this law was inherited from the British, right? And the British themselves had actually abolished the law effectively in 2019. So it's very archaic. It's probably past its prime time or prime due. And actually, you know, as you mentioned earlier on, shouting that the Pakatan Harapan government in its previous two election manifolds has promised to abolish this law. Yeah, of course... I think there should be laws to guard against hate speech and because Malaysia, what it is, the three R's are sensitive issues. But what's the right kind of law? And should there be greater engagement with the stakeholders to discuss this? Yes, it's going to be a, a challenging process to get bipartisan approval to repeal this act and come up with a new act that 
better describes the current times that Malaysia is in and reflects, you know, the conflicting issues within society. But not talking about it is probably not going to be great for us. Um, but I have a quick point I would like to highlight, which I saw in the Edge uh, this morning. And it's about the government actually receiving... 50.7 billions in dividends uh, from for this for 2022 higher than the previous years of 28.1 billion dividends. Now this is according to the Deputy Minister Datuk Sri Ahmad Mazlan. What he says is that the dividend contribution needs to be continuously improved to enable it to be returned to the people in the form of development and financial assistance. Now, what's unusual for me, for, for me is that he says the dividend contribution will be put into a consolidated fund for the purpose of development and financial assistance, like I said. But I always thought that these dividends were used to pay our government bills. Correct. You know, it's considered part of a revenue for the government stream and then it'd be used to manage the operating budgets of the government. Uh, and we know we're running a budget deficit right now. Yeah, I mean, ideally one day, we should take these dividends and then park it in a fund. A little bit like uh, the Norges Fund, which takes the all revenue uh, the, the, and puts it, sets it aside for the future of Norway. But... It's unless we get a budget surplus, I don't know how they're going to set aside this money or am I reading it wrongly? So, yeah, we need some clarity on this interesting issue. But let's talk about passports, Mark. Have you used yours recently, didn't you? I just used Did mine Did you need a, a visa? Ago. No. I didn't need a visa because I was going to Thailand. So I was, you know, contributing to the 30 million tourist target that Thailand had. And of course, I think our exchange rate is pretty, still pretty favourable against the Thai bud. But yes, I, I think once upon a time, Malaysian passport was once the most sought-after passports in, in, in the grey market. But I think now... Sing- you mean stolen. <clears throat> Great. People Great. stole them. So right now, Singapore has replaced Japan for having the world's most powerful passport, allowing visa entry to 192 global destinations, according to the latest Henley Passport Index report. And who is uh, the Henley? They are a London-based immigration consultancy. So what they do is they do a bit of study and say, okay, with your passport, what's the maximum number of countries you can go to without visa hassles? So Malaysia, we rank actually uh, 11th. So we can enter... um, How many? 180. 180. And we've improved, right? Because we used to be 13. But you know, some countries still don't let us in without a visa. Um, are you referring to Israel? No, we, no, that's, we can't go. No, you can go. You need uh, you need special permission from the Home Ministry. It's not you can't go if it's for pilgrimage reasons. Where you where you need a visa is places like Australia, United States. There is still a process. And for example, our peers, uh, our neighbours, Singapore, Brunei, they don't need a visa to go to America. By the way. So let's hope we continuously approve. And I wonder what goes into that discussions on a G two G basis as to. How come you need a visa and how come you don't? What's the criteria there? I'm always curious and is, is that given, is that known to us? Okay. Now, I suppose quickly just to wrap up today's what's the focus. Um, you know, Elon Musk has been in the news a lot the last seven days. You know, he had his Zoom call meeting with our Prime Minister. Um, Tesla Model Y was launched yesterday. And over uh, yesterday, our Minister of Communications, uh, Dato Fami Fazil, has announced that they have issued a license to Starlink. Now, Starlink is the satellite communication service by Elon Musk that provides internet services and they'll be targeting the rural areas in Malaysia, targeting with the schools and higher educations. Actually, it's already currently used in war-torn Ukraine, right? That's mm-hmm. how they've been able to communicate with the rest of the world. But that's all we have for the, for, from the morning run on WTF. Coming up next is the 10 a.m. news bulletin and then it's over to Enterprise. To take us out is Till Victory by Patty Smith. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. 
For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.